0: Hey Murdoch, I just started reading the Shepherd. Stop, of... Shepherd. That's not on the index page, so just no further. Get out of here with that stuff.
1: Welcome to Your Church Friends podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Murdoch. And today we have a special guest.
2: I'm Josiah. Um, Thank you for having me, guys.
1: Yeah, it's our buddy, Josiah. Our church friend. Our church friend. Our, our real church friend. Yep, real life. Real life. So Partner well, in ministry.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. That's even a cooler title. Yeah. Partner in ministry. You're, you're just an executive pastor. He's a partner in ministry. Yeah. <laughs> it actually seems like you just fund the church. <laughs> like <laughs> This is our partner in ministry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we mentioned that I
1: became the executive pastor on the podcast. It wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah. But it was. Awesome. It, wasn't. it was also very <laughs> good. No, it is <laughs> a really cool <laughs> big deal. Yeah, it's a like cool when thing we that. started, it was like, I just help out at the church, and now it's, yeah, executive pastor. Yeah. But
0: we're not here to talk about me. <laughs> Wait, real quick. I just have to throw this in there. The fact that your daughter was just like, so does that mean that you're Murdoch's boss now? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was like, no, baby, that's just on the podcast. Yeah. Not 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 in real life. But our guest. Let's talk about our guest. Yeah. Enough of me. All right, Josiah. Uh, you're our friend, yeah, and you're gonna tell everyone about a little bit about you. Just you know, just some things that you think that are important for them to know.
2: Um, well, I'm a big sports head. I love soccer and basketball. Grew up playing basketball. Started recently getting to soccer, and that kind of took over my sports uh, hobbies. But um, I love music. Uh, playing music, guitar, drums, singing. Um, to me, it's just fun. It's a good outlet for whatever you know. Good for. Uh, Venting if I need to vent, or if I want to write a happy thing, I can write a happy thing. But um, my big genre is metal. I am a metalhead, and I love it. What else about me is um? I just love serving at the church. Pretty much any way I can. Uh, if they need help and people ask me, I'm down. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, like, it's what being a part of the church is about. Yeah, helping out, helping, but God's bride. Like, I enjoy it.
0: And he's not just saying that. He works wrong. very close with me <laughs> in the young adults ministry, and he's like, "Yes, at all points yeah. and in all ways, that's very true." I feel like I need to say thank you after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's
1: that's interesting, metalhead. Because, like looking at you, no one would assume you're a metalhead.
2: No, not at all. Uh, very short, semi scrawny kid. Like, not no one's thinking I do that. But, no, I love it. You can do, like, The Screams and stuff like that, too, and no one expects that either, and it's great. <laughs> I love it. That
0: sounds fun. What show are we going to go to in a couple weeks?
2: Uh, Fit for a King. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I didn't get invited to a show. Do you like metal? No, not really. Well, that's why.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> See, because you didn't look like someone yeah, who would yeah, enjoy yeah, metal, yeah, so yeah, we didn't think yeah, that yeah, was yeah. No,
1: this time it actually worked out. No, no. Uh, <laughs> That does. So we brought you on here because we started talking about, uh, the Shepherd of Hermos and I really think it was Murdoch who threw it into both of our lives. I don't know if you knew before.
2: No. Yeah. I heard from him.
1: Yeah. So yeah. like we started talking about it and then you just really kind of read it and put probably more time into it than what we did for talking about it. And we were like, we're going to record on it finally. Like, do you want to join in? And you're like, yeah. So, uh, Tell me, uh, just to summarize, like what, before we get into today's stuff, uh, what's, what was the thing about Shepherd of Hermos that really stood out to you?
2: I would have to say that it's just so different mm-hmm. than growing up in like the 21st century American church culture. Like it's just very, not like polar opposite, but there's a lot of different like attitudes towards things. I'm like, yeah, I don't see this much if at all, I've never heard anyone say an opinion on like these, like a subject or this other subject that I've heard before. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting because this is way before we, like we, so like they had different insights with the culture and just the knowledge also of just that being second nature to them and like how they lived their life and what they knew So like, we have people who study this stuff for a living that they just knew. <laughs> yeah yeah and so I think just things like that, and we'll get to that in the episodes, but um, just the difference of culture and just thought
0: that is so different than our modern day definitely seem like they take it like out of more seriously, but definitely their approach of just like what they're talking about and the topics and and those things that definitely just like, yeah, how do you saying we like, don't really hear people today talking about it like that, yeah, or sometimes even just like you would just be called straight out like. No, that's absolutely wrong for even thinking those things are doing that. And yep. mm-hmm. as we get into it, it's like, well, that's kind of what they were thinking and dealing with back then. Yeah. 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 A different world for sure. Mm-hmm. I,
1: I Even when we talked about it last week, just how popular this book was before like the fourth century to how it just kind of lost its popularity uh, really is what interested me the most about it. It just, even when I talked to Justine about it, she was just like, why was it so popular? And I'm like, I don't know.
0: That's also weird. Because yeah. it is a really weird book. They were just like, why? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It has that, like, it's got weird visions. And when you break down the visions, and, that, and that's what we're covering today is the visions. But when you break them down a little bit, yeah, I could see where they're driving at. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with the commandments and, and the parables. But at the end of the day, I'm still like, some of it, I'm like scratching my head of like, why, what did this fit more than than it does today?
0: Yeah, which goes to what Josiah was saying. They just like, yeah, they were living in it. They knew all of this stuff. this was the culture. So I was like, why was this thing important to them? Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's get into those visions. Yeah. Let's go vision
2: number one, uh, which is, I guess I would assume chapter one. <laughs> yeah, you could phrase it that way. It, I would think it in that manner of like each vision a chapter and the other things too as like chapters.
0: For anyone wanting to find it earlychristianwritings.com has translations of it if you're trying to follow along with us and you want to read. Yeah. All right, go for it.
2: All right, so vision one, just starting off, um, Hermas, um, kind of the main character, I guess you could say, in this, um, he was sold as a slave and then he gets this part where after years, he sees his master as like a sister and he becomes a lover's sister. And just later on, he sees her like bathing and he goes and like has like, a, like one lustful thought. And it's just like, that was it. Like, really quick, just the one thought. And then it's interesting because uh, later on, um, the lady comes and uh, she said, I was taken up that I might convict thee of thy sins before the Lord. And he's like, huh? Like, what do you mean? Like, what sins? And it was just that one little thought that he had that she she's being sent it's like dang one thought wasn't dwelled on was there in past and then god is sending this lady to him <laughs> to convict him and it's like how many times in a day do i be like yeah like i sinned? And mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like no like i should be having like dang like i sinned and it's just i think like we can just have this life that we live and it's like i sinned so many times like that one little thing I don't even remember,
1: yeah, but
2: it's just interesting that um she was sent to convict him of that one thing, that one trespass against her
1: yeah, I, I read somewhere too, and I thought that was really interesting because it did stand out, but like uh, his thought was uh, she would make a wonderful wife, yeah, and so like you know there's obviously the like sexual implications of that, but I read somewhere too that it may have also done something with elevation of status for him since. He was a freedman, and that was his former uh, master that that would elevate him a little bit in status too, which does kind of hit the central focus of much of what Hermes is, is this kind of like money and how you use your money and corruption of money. Um, and then I, I did find it interesting that there was a comparison to David and Bathsheba,
3: mm-hmm.
1: that when he she was bathing, he saw her... Uh, and then I read somewhere Clement actually would berate the Alexandrians, uh, Christian women, who would be like modest around other men, meaning they would cover up and everything that were not in our household, but their slaves. They had no problem undressing or bathing in front of them. And so he was like, you guys aren't supposed to be doing that. Uh, so yeah, as we talk about, like, it's just one thing and it's like...
0: That yeah. is such a weird cultural thing, mm-hmm. though, to where yeah. just like the thought process... I was just like, oh, a slave, like that doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because like the only person who could possibly even anything could happen with would be someone on my status or above. Yeah. It's like, what's the problem with me bathing in front of these slaves? It's just like, uh, you don't want to cause people to stumble. and <laughs> Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's like think yeah. about it from a Christian point of view.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have another fun, interesting thing. Anyone want to talk about the uh, Testament of Reuben? You do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Uh, so in in Genesis thirty five twenty two it has that uh, while Israel uh, was living in the region Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine Bilhah, and Israel heard of it so that's like it in the Bible that it says that mm-hmm. and then when uh, Jacob is blessing his twelve sons that's brought up again but in the Testament of Reuben it actually reads this uh, love the truth and she will preserve you give heed to the words of Reuben your father. Uh, do not devote your attention to a woman's looks, nor live with a woman who is already married, nor become involved in the affairs with a woman. For if I had not seen Bilha bathing in a sheltered place, I would not have fallen into the great lawless act. Uh, for so absorbed were my senses by her naked femininity that I was not able to sleep until I had performed this revolting act. So it, it goes on a little bit in how he... Uh, laments and how uh, as soon as it happened, like Jacob, the spirit informed Jacob that it happened. But, you know, I, I think this is kind of like this culture that you talked about was like they, they knew this stuff. They were, they understood some of these
2: analogy of this vision of what was going on. Yeah, I think too, like later on, it's really interesting um, that Hermes, um, I said within myself, if this sin is recorded against me, how can I be saved? How shall I propitiate God for my sins, which are full blown, or with which words shall I entreat the Lord that He may be propitious unto me? It's just interesting, like his attitude of like this one sin, like how can I be saved, and just kind of like like the seriousness of like um being uh stained after being made pure and um Murnoch and I talked about this uh with our group uh last night just kind of talking about like how we, God gives us like new clothes and it's our choice and how we live in those like clothes. And if we stain, we can just ask God like, Hey, like, I'm sorry. Like, can you wash this clean for me again? And he'll give us like the new robes. He'll give us the new like clothing. And so it's just interesting. Like just the attitude of like, I got one tiny little stain of mustard on my shirt. Like this is bad.
1: Yeah. It's why I hardly wear white because I hate stains on my clothes. Like, it is one of those things that, like, drives me nuts. I know you were doing that thing for a while where you, like, wore everything white just mm-hmm. to see how you could keep it clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, And what's interesting about this is just recently, like, Justine will bleach a few things. They're white, and then they get dirty, and then yeah. they come back out, and they're just, like, super clean. Um, But it never dawned on me that a white shirt, like, to me, once a white shirt got stained on it, I almost, like, took this approach. It was like... It got a white stain or it got a stain on it and it's a white shirt. I gotta throw it away. It's useless. I can't use it anymore. But there is a thing called bleach that does, for the most part, remove the stains. And that
0: was my mindset going into that thing of wearing all the white clothes was just like, watch how I'm going to keep all of this perfect. Like that was really me going in and just like, watch how careful I'm gonna be that I'm just going to maintain this. Like that that's how stupid I am. It's like that was the real <laughs> thought process. And then it, it really was a teaching thing and a learning yeah. opportunity that when I got something dirty, it was like, oh, well, now I need to tend to that. And it was going through that thing of like, yes, how do you renew that and, and get it cleansed? And just all of that learning, which I feel like is going through here. But yeah, how seriously he took it. Mm-hmm. And I still come down to, I see this in the Shepherd of Hermas and I see this in the New Testament, is that there really seems to be Obviously, there are some things, like maybe in Corinthians, notwithstanding, talking about getting with your (laughs) mother-in-law, right? Yeah. But outside of those situations, it really seems to be that the standard of holiness that people actually kept was pretty high, Mm -hmm. and that it wasn't like a, oh, this is attainable after death. It was like a, no, you used to be that, and now you're this, to where even when the lady is saying um, to her ma, saying, yeah, you really kept yourself temperate, and you've kept yourself from all these things. yeah like you keep yourself pure, and yeah, I just look at myself, and like I can—you've probably heard me. Both of you guys have heard me say, like, I'm a product of this generation, like I'm part of a sinful generation. Is like, well, look at me, just casting blame to like everyone else around me. I'm just one of the corrupt. Is like, okay, but what am I doing? Yeah, to be that pure, which I think is marked by what you were saying, is just like. Oh, the tiniest bit of conviction that's come over a single step and you're just like, Oh my god, how how can I recover from this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the um well the one of the things that stood out to me too was the verse ten. I don't know if they have verses, but in my book mine there's this verse ten. I have mine.
0: Uh but it says, uh, That's what I get for going online. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get the free version, I don't even get verse numbers. <laughs> got to pay extra. <laughs> you got to pay the five ninety nine for the verses. <laughs> uh,
1: but it said, "For the thoughts the righteous man should be righteous. For by thinking righteously, his character is established in the heavens, and he has the Lord merciful to him in every business. Uh, but those who entertain wicked thoughts in their mind are bringing on themselves death and captivity." Uh, what I really start to notice, in it, and as we go deeper in these visions, is what. Uh, They're really getting at isn't so much on what Hermes was doing, but it was so much on more on what he was thinking. Like it was more the, mm-hmm. the thoughts that sermon led to on it. the mountain type. Yeah, 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 very much like that. So even like when it said desire or lust, uh, we usually go with sexual desires, and like I said earlier, it also could mean greed. So like he was lusting after more, and it wasn't necessarily turning into actions, but it was just thoughts mm-hmm. ruminating. And that's why the, you know, the lady comes in and she's like, what you think, it has to be upright. And like you were saying, Murdoch, that just back then they were just so much more intent on that. What are our thoughts on? What are we thinking about? How can we keep
0: them in that area? You, you see back in those days too, just the strength of mind that seemed to permeate the culture. You had the Stoics, the Stoic philosophers, Marcus Aurelius and all them. And just like, man, you read those writings. I was like, I'm so weak and immature in my thoughts. Like, Mm -hmm. when you read these guys, it's just like, and it wasn't like, oh, they're just making up. It's across the board. It was a way of thought that was in this culture. So it was like, no, think upright thoughts. And the whole thing, like, take every thought captive. It's like, yeah, I really think that they got that in a different way than us. Mm -hmm. Like, they were very trained in their mind. Yeah. Got anything else for us, our Hermos expert? (laughs) It's interesting,
2: just also, like, his family gets brought up. Mm -hmm. And just like, hey don't let sin happen in your family either. Like it's very much not just him worrying about like his thought and like how that could just leave those stains on him. But also like, hey, it's also your job to look out for your family. And I think we can individualize our Christian walks so much to where it's like, yeah, I'm just looking out for like my sin. Like I've just me and myself to worry about. Like I can't look after my brother and my sister where it's like, no, like if you see your brothers or stumble, like help them up mm-hmm. and like, they should be doing the same for you. And I think it could just be like our American mindset. It's very individualistic just because like, I know like for me, just walking around, like and I can do it, but like, who says hi to people anymore? <laughs> it's I'm my own business. I don't look at you. In fact, I'm gonna look away from you and you're gonna do the same. And it's like, wow, just that little thing can also creep into how I relate to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Where I'm like, oh, like they'll, they'll work that out on their own. If I hear anything or see anything, and it's like, no, I should be going to say something, and just like extending that from his like in the, like actual family to like our family in Christ.
1: So there was the vision of Rhonda or Rhoda. Rhoda, yeah. And then uh, now this is part of the vision of the woman. So the woman now has appeared. So it's no longer Rhoda; it's the the woman, the old woman who's. Sitting there, and then eventually kind of leads the way for the next few visions. It's her. And uh, I read that in Roman law, the head of the family was responsible and uh, prosecutable for the actions, finances, legal obligations of their kids until death, or when a son was uh, emancipated, which means basically to take similar responsibilities for themselves in the next generation. Uh, so the blame then given to Hermas for his family's sin, it, it just is following the Roman legal customs it's always interesting when you look at what Roman law was to where like the elevation God puts on it. Kind of like you were saying like, yeah, yeah, your family is doing all these things that are, that's wrong. And I think it even gets into it a little bit more in the later visions of um, what his children were doing and what his wife was doing, but it's, uh, you're responsible for them. Why Why aren't you warning them? Why aren't you saying anything? You're kind of letting it go on. And then it's like, Bigger than to like, well, then who is your family? Who is your brother? Who is your sister? Who is your wife type situation?
0: Yeah. I see this juxtaposed against Job. So when you're reading here in Shepherd of Hermas, saying, God is not angry with you on account of this, talking about what we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. but that you may convert your house, which have committed iniquity against the Lord and against you, their parents. And although you love your sons, you did not warn your house, but permitted them to be terribly corrupted on account of this, the Lord is angry with you. Right. So it's just like. Yeah, he was dealing with that lust issue and the different things, they were just kind of, and they were talking through that, but like, here's God's real issue with what's going on, is like, look within your house, kind of, Josiah, what you're saying is like, you have a responsibility here on what's going on, and I just, when I said this, it kind of reminds me of Job, because Job, he would wake up early and offer up sacrifices mm-hmm. to the Lord and pray in case his children had ever committed anything, right? And you just see these two fathers, and kind of what gets played out there, and then there's also um. Who is the priest that let his sons Eli. run Eli. Yeah. Hop-Pius and Phineas?
1: I think those are the names?
0: Yeah. The sons? Yeah. that could be And wrong. he just let so them go wild too. First and, Samuel. And, you know, God is mm-hmm. like, yo, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. So just where you see what responsibility looks like and then how God treats it when you don't take up that responsibility. Yeah. And kind of the thought process, and this is like a little bit of tangent, but just your choosing to acknowledge responsibility or not doesn't mean that it doesn't exist for you yeah mm-hmm. you know I mean? if you well i'm not responsible for that it's just like just because you say that doesn't mean that that's not true like as a father as somebody part of the family even to expand into spiritual family like you're yeah. talking about just like there is the responsibility there you can ignore it but you're just ignoring a reality mm-hmm. yeah. yeah
1: it's an interesting progression too because we start off with hermos kind of like oh my sin and look at my sin and and what was me for my sin And then it's like widened and it's made bigger to like, no, but then there's your family's sinful state. Like you're, you're kind of one-sided on what's going on with you. And in doing that, you haven't looked at what's happening around you. Hi,
3: I'm Luster of Luster's Prosthetics, the leading retailer of high quality prosthetics. It's real talk time. Temptation is everywhere nowadays. We see something or someone and it looks good and pleasing to the eye, and we're drawn to it with desire. At Lusters, we understand this problem. In fact, Lusters understands lust. That's why our in-house team of researchers, scientists, and doctors have been working tirelessly to provide you with a solution. Introducing The Watcher. The Watcher is a cutting edge prosthetic eye that blurs out anything you find tempting. So how does it work? It's simple, by connecting the Watcher to your brainwaves, it detects what pleases your eye. Once triggered, the Watcher immediately blurs out whatever you're lusting after, completely removing it from your vision. Say goodbye to lust once and for all with The Watcher. Don't forget to visit our new location on Fairfax, adjacent to the Beef Gristle Mill. Remember, if there wasn't any lust, there wouldn't be Luster's Prosthetics. Luster's, pioneering prosthetics
0: since 1972. Um, we were talking about this last night in our young adults group, but just when you're looking at following Jesus... Like, how concerned was Jesus with, like, his own self? Mm -hmm. He wasn't. He was concerned with others around him and how, you know? And just our process of following after Jesus is to get to that point of, like, yes, our sin. And you're learning to walk in the Spirit, to walk without the sin and to walk righteously. But then the natural progression of that should be like, okay, well, stop focusing on you and how righteous you are. And that's the main focus. Then you turn to others. Mm -hmm. How are you talking about that progression that's there? Uh, one thing I did want to
1: bring back up too was the the woman because I kind of just mentioned it, but I did want to bring up who like just a quick summation of who what role she plays. Uh so she eventually gets identified as the church. She's the principal revealer of the visions. Uh she encourages Hermos, sometimes yells at Hermos, sometimes loses her patience with Hermos. Um, she tells Hermos over and over to communicate these revelations to others. Uh, she eventually is transformed from old to young. And then uh, she, I think in, a sense, in this vision, she appears in the white chair, mm-hmm. which is usually understood as a throne or a seat of teaching, authority, judgment, or even like the Roman magistrate's uh, seat. And then uh, there's this, uh, the chair is described as snow and wool. And those are two traditional images that you can see them in Psalms, Daniel, and Revelation. So and then she has a book, which contains a lot of the revelation. So I just want to throw that out before we move on forward.
0: So that way, no one else has to wonder, like,
1: who is this woman?
0: Freebie, when somebody's seated, it's a position of authority and of teaching. What you said, I was just pulling that out, just like, anytime when you're reading the scripture, someone's sitting down, Jesus sitting down at the right hand. He's like, he's sitting down in authority. When you see that chair and somebody sitting, it's like, yeah, authority and teaching tends to be. Yeah.
1: And then there's angels, um, but they're described as young men. Uh, and that's, uh, like, Mark 16 says the same thing. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white. So it's just young men. I also found it interesting that it ends uh, with uh, the the woman telling Hermos, behave like a man. <laughs> like, almost a challenge. Like, what a, what a cultural
2: gut shot, even for today. Yay. Oh, yeah. Isn't there a scripture that says that? Be men? I believe so, yeah. I don't remember the exact passage, but...
0: I'm going to type real quick. Yeah, First Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. Be careful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. There you go, biblical tie in. Biblical tie in. Be a man. <laughs> it's biblical. All
2: right, let's jump into vision two. All right, so um, vision two, it's roughly a year later. He's just, uh, Hermas, he's just kind of like ruminating on like just remembering um, what the lady was talking to him about. And he uh, goes to the place where he was last year and he uh, prays. And uh, he says exactly, um, I, fell, I fell upon my knees and began to pray to the Lord and to glorify his name, for that he counted me worthy, made known unto me my former sins. And so it's just a very humble position. But then as he stands up, when he's done, he sees the lady again. And she has a book and she's like, Hey, I want you to go tell these to the elect of God. And he's like, I won't remember this. Can you please write it down for me? Or give me the book, and which I just think is funny—just pretty
0: acknowledging real.
2: Acknowledging the yeah the limits of humans, but um, she gives him the book that he can copy it, and then uh, she's like, "Return it to me when you're done." And he just stays in the country and just copies it. So when he's done copying it, he uh, writes down just um, talking about like we brought up earlier, just the sins of his family. And just it gets into, like, the more specifics of um, that these children have sinned against God, has blasphemed the Lord, and, like, betrayed their parents, and just goes into, like, description of, like, what these sins were.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty simple vision. Like, it's long. <laughs> Not as long as what we'll hit next, but the next one's a little more in-depth. Uh, but it's a simple vision. Yeah, it's one year later. Um, I, I read that the mentioning time place. It uh, usually serves as the purpose for authenticity in the revelation. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's pretty cool. You know, that's why it's there. Um, but yeah, you mentioned his uh, kids, and uh, I read that it could be that Hermes's children didn't prove themselves faithful, like the persecution that was happening at the time, uh, that it could be that his children didn't prove faithful under the trial because of their material interest, like the things that they were more interested in. That's why they would deny God. Um and then Hermes is told that his new relationship with his wife would be uh, sister. Uh, so this more, more than likely means sexual abstinence. Uh, and it was basically because uh, her assertive speaking, I'm, I'm kind of phrasing that nicely, <laughs> but it, it did parallel what was happening in Corinth, like what was happening in 1 Corinthians when Paul was talking about the women there. And then even what he wrote in Timothy, or yeah, in Timothy, 1 Timothy uh, 2. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's these... To me, it's these like little nods to biblical stuff sometimes Yeah, that it hits. Like it, it doesn't fully, I think maybe once in the visions, it fully quotes something from the Bible, like a Psalms. But I think a lot of things that like, they, it's just giving nods. Yeah,
0: like a little allegory and allusions. Yeah. yeah. Um, I found it interesting when looking at all of those wrongs that were done and then just, it comes in and says, but as for you, Hermas... Remember not those wrongs done by your children, that they may be cleansed from their former sins. So this reminds me of, uh, speaking of nods, of uh, the Lord's Prayer, right? Mm -hmm. You forgive others so that you may be forgiven. And just how how the forgiveness works in there, it goes on to say, For they will be instructed with righteous instruction, if you remember not the wrongs that they have done. For the remembrance of wrongs works death. So just really looking like, yo, you need to let this go. You need to forgive them. And in you forgiving them, they will be allowed to get cleansed and also receive mm-hmm. righteous instruction. And it's just like, man, what a thing in there that like when I'm refusing to forgive someone, it's preventing them from progressing in. Like, you know, because like mm-hmm. so much of what God works love and grace and mercy through is our relations with other people. And I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good with God got a lot of problems with everyone around me, but like, I'm good with God. Mm-hmm. And just like, well, then you're not seeing it work in you and through you, so to speak. Yeah. So just where it gets highlighted, there's like, all right, look, hey, there's all your family. But as for you, this is what you focus on.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it kind of reminded me too of uh, the Day of Atonement, where the, the priest would make atonement and at, I think it's in Leviticus 16, uh, but somewhere in there, like Aaron was supposed to make atonement for himself, uh, his household and the whole community. Mm-hmm. So it was like this threefold kind of forgiveness happening. Like you were saying that it's forgiveness, you know, you have to forgive to forgive to forgive and how that really does help out a community grow and bond together.
2: Yeah. Cause I think even just in my own life, just bring it to the small scale of like family and it's just me, my brother and my parents, but like I've had times where I've like held on forgiveness to my parents and just how that shaped the dynamic during those moments and to where like, I'm not talking to them or I say a harsh word to them or whatever. And it's like, that's not how God intended for us to be. And so a lot is on relationships. It's not just about me and God. It's about me, God, and how I treat other people. And I think it works even more to like, that it almost ties into like a a
1: salvation theme here that like our forgiveness does in some ways, Lead others into forgive or salvation uh, and to have a relationship with Christ. Totally. Well, I mean,
0: you look at we were forgiven while we mm-hmm. were yet sinners, right? So it's a preemptive forgiveness coming in. Yeah. It yep. really shows what's going on there. Yeah. Um, Some interesting things in, in Vision 2 I found was the, the Sybil.
1: No, no, but yeah, go into Sybil. I was just pointing it out. Oh, yeah, that, that's in there. I don't really have a lot of notes in, on Sybil, but yeah, there's Sybil. And uh, then Maximus, um, who is unknown. Maybe they knew who it was. Um, but it's uh, the way Hermes even kind of says it, it's almost like a sarcastic singling out. Like he's not, it's not in there as like a good thing. It's more like sarcastic and maybe like an example of what not to do. And then uh, the books of Ildad and Me Dad. Did you guys catch that part? Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah, mine had Eldad and Modat. and Modat yeah. too, yeah. Yeah, this one,
1: this, my translation has Medad. So. But then I looked it up in, in Numbers uh, to see who they were, and it said, however, and I think uh, somewhere, uh, it's in Numbers 11. Uh, it said, however, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad uh, remained in the camp. Uh, they were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp, And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Uh, Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, uh, my Lord, stop them. Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord's spirit would be put on them. Then Moses and the elders returned uh, to the camp. Uh, So it was interesting that it brought up like their lost books in there. And again, it's sometimes like when we talk about the Bible, there's like those books mentioned.
0: And it's just yeah, like go read mm, about it.
1: Yeah, like go read about this in that book, and you're like, we don't have that book. And it's just I, yeah, I wish you know sometimes we had those books.
0: Am I allowed to say some things that might upset our tender listeners? I mean, what stopped you before? <laughs> the amount of things that <laughs> haven't made it. Where I'm just like, I'm gonna say this, and I text you later. I'm like, dude, you got to take that out. Yeah, go like, I was it. too bold in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> now people are like, what has he said? Yeah. Um. Just that thing of, like, books being mentioned that are no longer preserved. There's this concept of just, like, no, absolutely everything that you need is, like, in the Bible. And just, like, the Bible covers anything that you could possibly, like, need to come across and all this stuff. And just, like, I don't think that's true. And when we hear about these books that no longer made it or that haven't, like, you know, that got lost into history, it's like, well... Yeah, because those ones weren't essential. Like, what got preserved is the things that needed to get preserved. Like, you know, and just like, but everything's in there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really that, but everything's in there type concepts. Like, the amount yeah. of things that I have come across in my life that are not covered, either, even if you want to go with the expanded like Catholic Bible, throw, throw <laughs> some extra books in there. It's not in those <laughs> ones either. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And not that what we need for salvation isn't contained there. What we need to be able to learn how to live a godly life and to pursue those things. Um, but the idea that it's just like, no, absolutely everything's there is like, I, the Bible itself is evidenced that it's not. Yeah. Like things that you people used to be able to have, we no longer have. It's like, oh, so there was a shift in humanity that what was needed in their books is no longer needed in our, like, you know what I mean? And just yeah. like that, that concept of people, like, no, this is, this is absolutely perfect. And here's this, and there's absolutely nothing missing. It's just like, it's okay. It's okay to say that some things got lost the history. It's okay to even say that you're going through something in modern life that isn't referenced in this ancient book. That's mm-hmm. okay. I'm not saying that the God of the Bible isn't true. I'm not saying that Jesus didn't walk this earth. I'm not saying that you can't receive the Holy Spirit and the gospel is not real. I'm just saying that maybe it's not all in there. Yeah. I had a friend post something about uh,
1: the Bible is all you
0: need. And
1: what's, what's the Latin phrase for that? Sola Scriptura? Yeah. And, and that was, like, the reference. And, like, people were like, but it was, it was almost an attack to, like, because some churches I know of do, like, at the movie theme for mm-hmm. the summer. Oh, yeah. And he was like, if your church is using an at the movie theme, like, go to another church. Like, all you need is the Bible. And then people were kind of, like, going at it saying, like, but Jesus spoke in parables. Mm -hmm. And, like, we've covered that Paul has used many Greek philosophers in in what he wrote.
0: Uh, The Old Testament is just riddled with them taking from the other contexts and cultures. Like, hey, look at how we're going to actually tell you about real stuff with this. So it's
1: an interesting concept to me, which is why, like, I mean, we didn't even know about the Didache, which is a fantastic writing. Yep. Uh, until someone found it. And then it was like 100 years later, it didn't even really become anything or 10. Was it 10? 100 or 10? It was a minute. Yeah, but it was like before it even became like, oh, now it's written in in clarity. But it was there. It was just lost in between two pages or something. So it just always makes me wonder of like what else is there. And not to say that it's a necessity for the Bible, but a lot of these like things fill in the gaps. Like even what I read in the Testament of Reuben, we just had a blip of in, in Genesis account. Uh, this is that. And then in the Testament of Reuben, you get this whole list of like, no, I messed up and here's what happened.
0: And I think that what it comes to, and sorry, I threw it all on this tangent, but is needing to come up with a systematic thing that answers everything. And I think that that's a more modern approach to reading scripture because of when scripture started to get challenged on like, oh, are they actually true? Are they historical? And what about like, textual criticism and all those things mm-hmm. when those start moving is like well we need to make sure this is solid and like it's unquestionable like it's okay to not know things guys mm-hmm. it's okay for there to be mystery it's like it's okay for things to like loose ends to be there and that that's part of the life that we have mm-hmm. like you know and i just feel like the like no 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 it's all in there it's all it's just like you those same people are probably holding very strongly to like their system answers absolutely everything mm-hmm. and then god steps in he's like where were you when I did this stuff? <laughs> Throwback to Job. Yeah. <laughs> um, that said, Sybil. Uh, Sybils, they were um, in general prophetic women believed to have mm. the power of divination. So this was really big in like Greco-Roman mythology. Mm-hmm. And they're associated with lots of different places, but there was the Cumaean Sybil uh, specifically. And that was near like Naples, Italy. And the most famous account of that Sybil was in Virgil's I can not say this word Aeneid. need as well as a e n e i d in it's one of those, those ancient Virgil he's the ancient writer um but she guides the hero through the underworld mm. and then there's a collection of sibylline books which were purchased from that command sibyl uh by the last king of Rome and those were used for centuries to guide Roman policies during times of crisis so when Hermes is like Oh, the Sybil? He's like, because you're one of these women that has divination that's giving me these mm. visions and guiding me through these things. He's like, nah, I'm the church. Yeah, <laughs> Gotcha. The, I, I honestly thought you when you went with
1: Sybil, um, the movie. Never seen it. Yeah. No one? Oh, never I,
0: Josiah's the worst one. i yeah. the last one to I, know about
2: movies, except the obscure ones that I've seen. Yeah,
1: let's just move on. Vision three. Vision three. The fun one. Yes. So uh, I think that's a good spot to split this episode. So we'll split this episode and save the rest of the conversation for the next episode. So I'm Chris. I'm the And I'm Josiah. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening.
0: Excluded Books of the Bible.